I want to let you know about a new course that I'm starting on Monday, June 7th. It's called Concepts in Kabbalah. And it's your opportunity to really spend some face-to-face time with me outside of the podcast. We have these small groups. It's interesting. It gives you the ability to really delve into Kabbalah in a way that you haven't been able till now. And I love them. They're inspirational. They're fun. And they're a great way to spend your evenings. And you you can do it from the comfort of your own home. So please join me. You can either click on the link in the show notes here or go to theloverabbi.com. That's T-H-E-L-O-V-E-R-A-B-B-I.com. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you there. Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of our annual raffle and tickets are just $50 and it really helps support all the wonderful work that we're doing. If you buy a ticket today, I'll send you a personal thank you letter and a little gift. It's really easy. Just go to www.ndgraffle.com. That's ndgraffle.com. I'll be ever so grateful to you. Now let's get started. So today we're starting to talk about the three souls. It's interesting because the Tanya only speaks of two souls, yet we understand that there are three souls. So the first soul is called the Nefesh Bahamit which is the natural soul or the animal soul. Today, um, we're also going to talk about this idea of koach hamisaveh, which is the power of passion. So, Kabbalah explains the following. There are three souls. The nefesh bahamit, which is known as the natural soul or the animal soul, the nefesh ha chiyunit is also the nefesh bahamit, the vital soul or the natural soul. There's different terms for it. Basically, that part of us, which we'll talk about in a second, that is natural, that is uh, that is that is part of who we are, part of our makeup. The second is the nefesh asichit, which is the human rational soul, and the third is the nefesh alukit, which is the peace of God. Now, it's important to understand that the Nefesh Elikit is really who we are, past, present, and future. We'll talk about that when we get to the Nefesh Elikit, but the Nefesh Elikit is actually our life force. It's who we were before we were born, and it's who we're going to be after we leave this world. So, the, the, the debate and what becomes a bit controversial about Kabbalistic study is that according to Kabbalah, this third soul, which is called the godly soul, is unique to Jews. Though, Gentiles have both an animal soul and a human rational soul, a conscious soul, and also it could be that a Gentile can get a godly soul through performance of the seven Noahide laws. What about inanimate objects? What kind of souls do they have? Inanimate object souls. Okay. Basically, it's, it's, if you go through the Kav and you think about it in the way of Simpson, inanimate objects have the least life force, but there's a life force there. Right? Think about if we're, we're higher in, in the, on the Kav than an inanimate object. And what happens, I always wonder, like, you have a tree, it has a certain, like, like soul to it, and then you cut it, and you make a, a, a table out of it. What, 
Where, 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 does it so the, the table, it's the, yeah, of course. It's like a, so it's, it, again, it's like atmos? okay, so it's important to understand. Remember, we're talking about metaphors that are with our, within our world, right? So the example that I would give for cutting the tree is the same example I would give for the difference between master souls and multiple souls. Every single one of our souls has a master soul. The great question that many Kabbalists would ask is, according to our tradition, that in the times of the Mashiach, there's going to be what's called the resurrection. And which, if there's a master soul and there's different incarnations of the same soul, right? Your, your soul is, most of our souls in this world today are not new souls. So which incarnation of our soul comes back? But there's a part of, of our soul that never was here. Like until, until we're born. No, 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 no. There's, the, the soul was here. The, the re, there's a unique purpose for this particular soul coming back to this world at this time. But so, in the book, you, you, you lend me the small one. It says there's a part of us that, that was never here before. According to some opinions. Okay. According to some opinions. But according to most opinions, our soul has been here before. But it's here in this world <laughs> for a unique purpose. That's according to most opinions. So, now let's understand the significance of the three souls. In order to understand the significance of the three souls, you have to first understand what is a soul. A soul is a drive. Good morning. Good morning. A soul is something spiritual and not of the body, not of the physical. A soul is animating, it's a life force. The Hebrew word that's usually used for the word soul is neshama. But for our purpose, for the purpose of our study, it's really a drive, it's an animating life force. A direction in which a person is driven or a direction in which a person is motivated and a direction in which a person is moved. After describing each of the souls, generally, we're going to go on to move to understand each of the souls in more detail. So, the animal soul, the nefesh abahmit, the nefesh ativit, the, the, the natural drive. What is it? It's similar to an animal in that it desires animal-like pleasures. It does not use its intellect to discern between good and bad. Similar to an animal that acts based on its instincts, its intellect is subordinate to and overpowered by what it sees and feels. Which means an animal is not going to decide whether or not the candy is good for me or whether or not that entire tub of ice cream is good for me. It doesn't really matter. It's an instinct. I feel down right now, and the way I'm going to solve my problem is through that tub of ice cream. It's not deciding, oh, there's calories or there's not calories. The moment you get into calories, it's not the animal instinct anymore. The animal instinct sees the ice cream. It wants all the ice cream. It doesn't want to leave any for anyone else. It doesn't really care about anyone else. It just cares about its drive, its desires, and its instinct. And it doesn't think. It's not a, a thinking process. The moment you get into anything that's a thinking process, we're getting out of the animal. The animal does not possess a drive of intellect. The animal possesses a drive of passion. 
which makes the animal soul different and unique in a positive way. It's actually has a distinction to all other species of creation because there's nothing else besides the animal soul that has passion in it. Passion comes from the animal soul. The passion that the animal soul has can be used for many positive and constructive tasks. For example, the animal's passion can be used for plowing a field, can be used for transporting people. Sometimes we even learn what's proper and improper from an animal. The Talmud explains something very interesting, that the advantage gained by having an ox plow a field the result of the ox, because of the way that the ox plows the field with its passion, will result in abundance of wheat. If a human being were to do exactly the same process as the ox plowing the field, the amount of wheat harvested would be minimal. So says the Talmud. When animals push a wagon with people as passengers, you're going to get to its destination much quicker than if you were going to pull it by a human. Think about it. Does a human have a drive of a horse to be able to go for, for, for many, many, many kilometers without stopping? Very few. And in the speed of which it goes, does the human have a drive, even of a camel in the desert, to be able to go without water for so, many, for, for so long? That animal drive, that instinct animal drive, there's nothing like it in the world, and its ability to accomplish is unique of all creations in the entire world. When it comes to performing hard chores, people naturally get tired. People are going to get hungry. Animals have a tremendous drive of which they're going to get tired much, they're going to be able to go much further without food or, or, or sleep. I was just reading on dry fasting, like because of the fast that we just did, dry fasting is a method used by animals a lot of time to, to heal. Like when an animal is seriously endangered, they will refuse any water, any food, and it, it heals them really, fa- really fast. That's what we just did. It's amazing. For example. But the animals, it's not an intellectual process the animals have. It's an instinct. The animal cares about itself. It looks out for number one. So if it's not well, it's going to do instinct, instinctive things that are going to help it get well. We also learn wonderful values and, and lessons from animals. For example, the story of last week's Torah portion of Bilam's donkey. What, what did the donkey do in the Torah? She basically scorns Bilam for acting out of order and hitting her. Of course, the ability for a human to understand the animal's language is miraculous. But animals do have their own language. And part of that language includes a silent message. It's a language that teaches ethics. It's a language that teaches goodness. Just, for example, as this donkey taught Bilam a very important lesson. The Talmud says, for the Torah not prohibiting stealing, that prohibition can be derived from a cat. A cat doesn't steal food. Even though the food lies around and it's open for grabs, as long as it feels that it might belong to another cat, it won't take it. It says that the, the prophet Isaiah scolds the Jewish people by saying the ox knows its master, the donkey knows the crib of its owner, 
However, my nation Israel doesn't know me, God. Using examples of the animals to be able to teach various ethics and values. And through that, we can learn the goodness and the obedience with which animals are able to listen and follow. And the verse also teaches how humans should behave and how we should learn. Oh, they do this. Learn from them. So, if I had to sum up an animal's special quality, I would say it's passionate determination. An animal will do anything. An animal will do everything to get what it wants or to get what its master desires. Nothing can get in its ways. All of these qualities are found in the animal soul. We need that animal within us. That, the passion, the drive, the excitement, all that that we have, we need our animal soul for it. Without our animal soul, there's a tremendous amount of, of personality that's missing from us. Now, the animal soul, in its very essence, is neutral. It's not evil. It's just neutral. It's passionate. It's full of desire. The direction of its desires, the way its passion will be directed, depends on the environment. An analogy would be the air all creatures breathe. The function of the lungs is to breathe. But the type of air taken in depends on the environment. Whether it's in the smog of, let's say, Shanghai, or the fresh air of uh, Tremblant. The lungs are still going to be able to do the work. The lungs are still the same. But what ends up in the body is going to be very different. One is going to be smug and one is going to be fresh. Likewise with the animal soul. In a materialistic environment of money, of physical pleasure, the soul is going to desire material things. In a bad spiritual environment where God, Torah, and mitzvot are concealed, or maybe even worse, maybe they're even scoffed at, the drive will be harnessed in the paths that lead to spiritual corruption. However, in a good spiritual environment, one of the metaphysical beings and angels, or simply good and decent God-fearing people, its passion is going to be directed towards godly things. Basically, you can imagine it like a puppet. The movements of the puppeteer's hands are going to determine the direction the puppet follows. And that is why... We, it says in the Talmud, Ola Rasha, Ola Shono, we have to be very careful where we hang out. Because we, the animal part of us, is directly affected by where we are. And we have to make sure to be around positive people and good people and people with the right message and attitude. Because if we're not, and we're around gossipers and we're around various places, we end up falling into that. I, I think, I, I think of... Um... You know, Freud's description of the id here, it's a little bit similar to the, the way you describe uh, the Nefesh Abba Amin. And a lot of times when we think of the animal nature, we're going to talk about pleasure and desire and passion, yeah. and like these things. But I, I think also when you look at, at an animal, and when you look at that, that, that sort of very physical dimension, there's also um, the survival instinct. Exactly. That's also very, very much a big part of it. 
and the survival instinct is, is also very, very keen on the threats around. So it, it, it's very, it could be self-centered in a way that's not necessarily driven towards passion and pleasure and enjoyment, but also in a way that's, that's very mindful of the threats of the environment. For sure. And so fear is also a big part of the animal, the animal drive. For sure. Must be, right? Because the animal, in essence, lives in a state of heightened alert of the threats. It has to. But again, the animal lives in a world of instinct. That's right. So the threats are because it's looking out for number one. That's Not right. because it That's actually right. has the ability to discern that this is bad, this is good. It doesn't think of that in that nature. Absolutely. But I think you see my, my point. My point is that we'll often focus on the pleasure, enjoyment aspect of it. And we don't talk about the fear aspect of it, which is huge for an animal. Right? It's also huge for us. It's also huge for us, right? right. That's also our, it can also be our animal drive. When you're just like, extremely scared about your own survival. Right? Well, in Kabbalah, what's the opposite of fear? We spoke about that. We, we, didn't, say, we didn't say love. It was love. love. Was it love? Love. Yeah. The opposite of fear is love. So, you see, like when we talk about the Nefesh it's a, it's a lot more than, than what... See, it's easy for us to talk about it because it's our natural being. So yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's almost enjoyable. Like we almost like revel. We can just spend our entire year just talking about the Nefesh Bahamid and all this. But what we, what we are doing by talking about it is we're rationalizing it. So we don't want to rationalize it. And when we start talking about the rational drive, we're going to understand how the rational drive can go either way. But we'll talk about that in a second. But, but, but you know, my, my point is that the fear part is, is a huge rationalization. You know, huge. People, of course, when people, uh, when people uh, develop a very self-centered uh, ideology, it's a lot of times not driven only by pleasure and by desire. It's driven a lot of times by fear. And there's, other, there's also other emotions that are true. And there's other emotions that are, that are part of it too. But Lust is a big one. But you yeah. say that Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's, an, it's not a fear per se. You can call it a fear. I think a fear is a rationalization of what it is. It's all instinct. Yeah, it's anthropomorphic. Yeah. 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 Well. We have fear. Oh yeah, we have all of these. But this all comes from our animal drive. Our animal instinct. So, let's talk about the animal drive. Kabbalah teaches 
that the animal drive, the nefesh habahamit, is able to connect more passionately with God than the godly soul. The reason is that the strength of the godly soul is godliness, which necessitates a more calculated approach than the simple passion that's used by the animal. So, the passion for God, as seen from the godly soul's perspective, becomes completely limited. It's similar to the person who, let's say, has been eating non-kosher food for years and all of a sudden decides to do teshuvah, decides to return to God and stop eating that food. Then he starts doing more mitzvot, starts following the Torah. The person's fervor and enthusiasm is totally passionate for God. Literally, that person at that moment is in love with God. To compare this practice of mitzvah to people who were born, let's say, into a family that never saw or smelled or or knew what non-kosher food looks like, is like to find their practice of mitzvah dry and cold. It's missing a hardened soul. The truth is that person also at some point has to decide to do it on their own. Right? They can't, even if you're born into it, you have to decide to do it on your own. But the fact of the matter is that there's no question the passion and fervor of what we call today about teshuva, someone who returns or finds Judaism on their own, is going to be much more exciting than someone who's born into it. So basically it's more challenging to be from. It's more challenging to be born. That, yeah. No, no. Because you can't say that it's more challenging to be born that way. Because that's not fair. Because the person still has to find it. The process, that's what I'm saying. It's the easy. process of a person finding that and returning is much more complicated than, that, than being born that way. Much really? more complicated. Of course. But to be born that way, to find that, that, that um, excitement? It's definitely more blah. And you have to work harder to find the excitement, but it's innate. You don't have to find the belief. You don't have to find the faith. Okay. You know, there's so many other it's, things it's, that are... It's, you're going in the direction of the river. Exactly. You're not, you're not swimming in the other direction. If, if, literally, you're swimming in the other, in the other I, direction. If, if I understand, but like, it's, like, <laughs> it's like I've been eating the same food since I'm born. Like, it's hard to find excitement in them after a while. Yeah, no, I know, but the point is that the point is that it's not about the excitement. The point is that, for an instance, with kosher. No, we okay? want excitement. We want the, the animal soul yeah. to be driven. No, but that's. I think that's the point. The point is like if you're born in kosher and you've always eaten kosher and you've never touched on kosher, okay. Ha- having that that passionate uh, um, uh, approach to kosher, it's going to be a lot harder. Actually, you're not going to have that 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 passionate approach to kosher as if you were not kosher and then you're going to kosher that's what I said you understand we agree. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, we agree. Yeah. yeah we agree so it's hard but it's true in a way it's, 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 there's a particular no, but, challenge but, to people that are born in. it's I mean the, the process of finding it on your own is so much more complicated yeah but once and, that, and, and by the way the proof is that the people who do find it are much more passionate so mm-hmm. what do you think that passion comes from nowhere that passion is coming from the fact that they had to find it. Mm-hmm. Now, when something is natural to a person, it doesn't mean as much compared to something that's new and unnatural to the person's experience. Since the, God, the animal desire for God is a novelty, it's passionate, 
and constantly fresh and it's warm and excited. Because for the godly soul, it's like the kid that was born into Judaism. It's obvious. It's obvious. What do you mean? The godly soul. <laughs> what else is there besides God? But if the animal soul finds God, whoa, what happened to me? This is amazing. This is awesome in the literal sense. On the other hand, the godly drive, since his desire for God is natural, it doesn't get excited about godliness. On the contrary, it, what does the godly drive say? It says, what's the big deal? <laughs> I've been having this experience for many years. Give me a break. <coughs> there, was a, there was a man named, uh, named Mayer in the shtetl. So looking for a mayor, and he says, what do you mean? I've been a mayor my whole life. Why can't I be the mayor? The godly soul says, what do you mean? This is the way I've been on my whole life. What are you saying? You're excited? What an animal soul? What do you, well, all of a sudden, uh, EST 2018, you decided, uh, animal soul, you woke up, you decided there's a God in the world. Relax. I knew it all along. Subsequently, its passion for God isn't there. The special quality is called koach hamisave, the power of passion. What the animal soul has that no other creation in all the universe has is the power of passion. Now, how it uses it, when it uses it, where it uses it is a different story. But that power of passion is unbelievable. Nothing can get in its way if it's honed and directed properly. So that's the basic overview of the animal soul. Good? Now let's go into the next step. The next soul is called the nefesh hasichlit, which is the rational drive. This, once again, similar to the instinct in the animal, we can talk about this for years and we'll never get bored of it because it's most of the time that intellectual thinking people spend is with regards to Nefesh HaSichlit. In order to understand the Nefesh HaSichlit, we're also going to learn some new concepts. We're going to learn about Yeshma Ayin, the idea of something from nothing. Yeshma Ayin, something from nothing. Mil Matola from below to above, mil mato, mil maila lamata, from above to below, isarusa de la ela, isarusa de la tata, the arousal from above and the arousal from below, teshuva, the idea of return, and bechira, free choice. So now, the drive of the human rational soul, what is it? It's intelligent. It's logical. Its purpose is to figure things out. This soul looks for cause and effect. It looks for system and organization. It looks for clarity. It's going to perform this function wherever it is. Wherever it is, automatically, this soul is going to try to find clarity. Why did this happen? It's gonna justify things. It's going to find purpose and meaning for things. Since the 
rational drive is found in the domain of intelligence, which is part and parcel of the very fiber and makeup of this physical world, it feels at home when focusing on worldly matters. It would rather talk about science than talk about God. It would prefer, it's natural, it's more natural for it to have discussions about science because it can understand it better. There's cause and effect, there's process, there's uh, uh, an intellectual procedure for how science operates. Basically, for most people, it, be- it allows itself to become the intellectual tool for the animal drive. So the animal says, I want the ice cream. Why? Because it f- makes me feel good. Does it think about ice cream? Does it think about the calories? No. The rational drive is gonna start talking either one way. Either it's gonna say, you need the ice cream because you had a bad day. And it's gonna start justifying why the person needs the ice cream or the opposite. It's gonna say, hold on, wait a second, mister, you're on a diet. And you know what kind of calories? Look at the label, nutrition facts. Look at the label. That's how many calories it has. Is it good for your Weight Watchers? And all of a sudden, it turns into this entire conversation about whether it's gonna do it or it's not going to do it. So basically, what it's doing at that moment is it's becoming a tool for the, rational, for, the, for the animal drive. The rational drive is becoming a tool for the animal drive. They share something in common, in that they both begin their operative system from a this world perspective. So, naturally, they use each other to coexist. The process through which they view the world is through this world and nothing else. If you only have an animal drive and a rational drive, you could basically say there's nothing else besides this world. Life is short, live it up. And the rational drive will be able to justify the life is short, live it up process. Or life is long, live it up. Or life is long, live it up. Whatever you, whatever, however you want to look at it. It's like the Epicurean perspective. It's right. like, no, you can go into crazy hedonism, but you're going to end up like, causing a lot of pain for yourself, and it's not going to be good for you in the long run. You're still in, in a this-world logic, right? But you can stretch it out. Exactly. So like, the, the rational mind can also be a little bit smarter and realize when the, the animal drive is being too short-sighted or too in the moment or not aware of its broader interest you're still in the rational mind. Right. The, in actual practice, the animal soul tries to get the rational soul to serve its needs, to use its logical and rational capacity to figure out how to accomplish desires and fulfill its passions. The rational soul also engages in justification and rationalization of those desires. That's basically what happens for most people on a regular day. Kabbalah explains this concept by taking into account the process of creation. It's known as yesh ma'ayin. The process of creation is something from nothing. We know that God created the world. We know that the creator is infinite. We've already discussed this. He chose to contract his infinite power in order to create a finite 
limited universe. This process is known as Simpson. The created universe is called Yesh, meaning something. And God, the creator, is called Ayin, meaning nothing. What is nothing? Nothing is the potential for everything. Nothing is the potential for everything. Once you have something, you have something. Before you have something, you have the potential for anything. Nothing is correct. No thing. Which means it could be anything. It could be whatever it wants to be. It hasn't taken on a physical, uh, corporal form yet. It's like the female slide. That's right. What, is, what, is, what this means is prior to the contraction of the infinite power, all that existed was something that is totally beyond rational human experience. We would call this infinity. Infinity, also known as the potential for anything. From the human perspective, it's nothing. It's ayin. Why? Because it's not tangible to us. There's no way for a human being to truly understand it. It's not in our domain. It's not in, in, in the human realm. So the only thing we can say is nothing. We can call it infinite, not finite. We can call it beyond this world. We can use whatever word we want, but really it just means that we don't get it because everything we know is confined by time and space. So everything we know is something. Our creative power is something from something. We cannot create something from nothing. That's a godly power. Any creative power we have is something from something. If I created this table, I didn't create this table. I can... If I know how to do it, I can chop down the tree and I can use the proper tools and I can form and fashion the table. But I had to have the tree. So it's not something from nothing. It's going to be always something from something. Everything is going to be that way. So we call it creative, but it's not really creative. It's just compiled or transformed. transformed. What about a language? The written word is the same thing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, the, it's closer than, than maybe build, making a table. But it's still, the written word existed. Yeah, but people made up languages. Made up language, okay. So, I can go, eh, and establish. But it's something that yeah. exists. Okay. It exists. We made up language. We made up language. Initially, language was about describing things that we saw around us, right? But if I talk about this, a rock. I can call it a rock, okay? So it, it, it was, it was like a, it was like an, uh, something that existed already. It was voice. It was describing an object that existed already, right? And slowly, slowly, as you go up the level of abstraction, now I can, I can talk about you. I just make a noise. I'm sure initially it was just noises, right? And then as you go up the level of abstraction, you can talk, start talking about abstract you ever hear, concepts. You ever hear dolphins talking to each other? I'm saying they're talking. But we're always talking about things that, that, that we have an experience of. You know what I mean? Two babies talking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, you know, dolphins talk. You know? Yeah. Animals talk too, so I don't think language is that. It's okay. 
No, no, but it's 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 a very good it's it's a very good example. But, but it's probably it's more removed than than than, than creating a table. But, but it's probably the greatest thing we ever create. I mean, it's 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 the the most creative thing probably we ever did. You know, as a species. Yeah. Aside from music. Aside from music. Music is another example. Yeah. Again, but it's it's a it's something from something. It's a sound that was already there. But it's a sound that's already there, yeah. But it's like when we create music, what we're doing is that we're we're uniting the sounds in a way that's orderly. So we're already. Yeah, like we're saying we can't create anything for something, so the sound was already there. The sound is already there for sure. Yeah. Right? Like and we're just compiling on something, or you're you're using your voice. The sound is already there. But what the amazing thing about music is that you need to have the the abstract concept of order through time. <laughs> and that's right. that's pretty pretty advanced that's right but that is the the according but to Kabbalah, that is the the essence of of this world is that it's ordered through time yeah but even that is there before in the sense that when you, when you look at the elements right there's a regularity through time when you look at the sun going up and down every day right there's already that idea it's there it's there in nature and then we are able to sort of mimic it in a, in a limited uh context by exactly. creating music you know but you could also say that it was already, like the elements were already kind of there. You know, the way we united it. I mean, it, it's definitely extremely creative. To, to, to a certain extent. It's extremely creative when yeah. you compare it to the animal world. It's, it's an extremely creative act. Even technology, what we do today with technology, like transformation, transformation is not equal to transformation. Right. You know, some transformations are extremely basic and some are enormously complex. But it's still... It's, it's not something from absolutely nothing. Right. That, that, that's something really... So the godly world is something from nothing, and our world is always something from something. Mm. All we can process and understand is the something. Mm. Kabbalah continues to clarify this says that the outlook of the rational drive on all aspects of form and matter is something to the nothing. From the something to the nothing conclusion. Which means the process of the analysis that's used by the rational drive is understanding and relating to all physical and material matter is first and foremost accepting the fact that the physical item really exists and is here in the real world. It draws this conclusion since the yesh, something can be seen and felt. On the other hand, the cause of how it got here is not seen and felt. Therefore, from the rational drive's perspective, it's not here. It's iron. It's nothing. It has no worldly existence in that it's not tangible. Kabbalah calls this process milmata lemaila, from below, from the worldly tangible vantage point to above, to the heavenly abstract. That's why the moment we start getting more and more and more abstract, that's a way through metaphor that we can kind of understand what is beyond this world. 
So is the idea here that like, through the rational process, we inevitably get to a place where we just can't explain. So that's one way. From the from the Lomati perspective, eventually you're gonna say, okay, where did that come from? And where did that come from? Or what or you're gonna go through organisms, you're gonna say, and that's smaller, you're gonna reach a dead end. That, that's one process. It's not the ideal process according right. to Kabbalah, but it is a way of coming to a process. It's an, it's an Abrahamic process, right? Abraham did that when he was finding God. He said, well, you know, there's the sun. I'm going to worship the sun. And the sun goes away and the moon comes up. And there's the moon. I'm going to worship the moon. So there is a process. If you are... You the go through rationality and then you eventually get to a point where... where you can't explain it, right? Every scientist, to a certain extent, has to have a certain bit of faith because at some point they can't figure out so what created that? And how did that come about? Not that they're, I mean, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> they don't all, I mean. They don't call it that. No. Today, but it they, is. They can derive a lot of, of energy and power just by denying religion. It's easy. Yeah. It's easy. But that is, that is the, 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 the animal drive using the rational mind to justify itself. I mean, they just think that they're, they're eliminating uh, dark ages from humanity, you know? Right. That's how they rationalize it. Yeah. They're, they're eliminating, like, folk belief. The same way people think that our grandparents were, were stuck in, in marriages they didn't want to be in. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Of course. They're all beaded women. Yeah. There was actually... There was terrible. It terrible. was all a man, yeah. like, beating poor, and enslaving a woman. That's these, it. That's everyone. all there was. These poor women who yeah. were subjugated to the, these cruel men, and they had to... Uh, be married to them and they couldn't get divorced because it wasn't popular yeah, exactly. during that time. And we today, yeah. in 2018, we're, so we're so happy and we know and we're liberated people so they must have had it terrible. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Exactly. The world was created just for you and nothing existed before you. Happy birthday. Okay. Happy but in, birthday, in, Rabbi. Yeah, but in a way, in a way it's, uh, it's, it's your birthday? Yeah. Is it today? Yeah. Really? Yeah. On July 4th? Wow. wow. Happy birthday. That's cool. Um, but it's, it's, it's really also just part of the, the, the arc of progress, like right. the, the narrative of progress in the West, which is kind of aligned with really, when you look at it, like from a material standpoint, from a scientific standpoint, there is that, that, that very remarkable arc of progress. Right? right. But then we take that, that narrative and we apply it to everything else. Like we think by definition, and there has been, of course, also progress in the uh, social sphere as well, right? I mean, civil rights and all the groups of people that didn't have any, any political representation with the state. So exactly. there, there was a lot of, but, but, but then like we just kind of oversimplify and we just apply that linear narrative arc to absolutely everything. And then we, we, we make it extreme. Then we're like, okay, well back then it was just like hell, you know, and today, there, today must be paradise. So what happens when today isn't paradise? And, and then you're just confused and lost. Yeah. And that's what happens. So a lot of people have these euphoric, Ideas of what their world, their life is supposed to be like, and they have midlife crises. Yeah. It's easy. And you don't realize that we've lost. It's a lot the of it's the ideal versus the idea, or the ideal versus the practicality. Yeah. You don't realize all the things that, that have been lost in, yeah. this, in this drive to progress. Yeah. So much tradition and uh, and and the unity of, of, of community bonds and. The, uh, sort of the, 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 the helping of the human beings from a very direct level. It's right? important. Progress is important, but it has to be built on something. Mm. It has to, we are, we have two choices. We can be midgets, because we are, or we can be midgets on the shoulders of giants. And then our, we can see much clearer using 
their experience and using their their uh, over there, no? Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna sit here. It's fine. No, over here, over here. There's one over there. You should be able to reach it. Okay, let's see how far it goes. We're going back to science, you know, like who created hydrogen? Right. Who created oxygen? Go get your own DNA. Now, the Nefesh Elokis, the godly soul, on the other hand, views all physical and material matter in the form from just the opposite vantage point. From me'ayin liyesh, from nothing to something. Its primary interest is the ayin, is God, who is nothing, which is really the potential for everything. Since God is unknown, from there, the godly soul comes to the conclusion that there is something that is a result of the ayin's doing. So what you're saying before is eventually someone, if you start from the nefesh, from the rational drives perspective, eventually they're going to come to the point where they say, well, where did this all come from? But if you start from the godly soul's perspective, it's going to say, no, everything is really nothing, which is the potential for anything. And that nothing created the something. Understand? Nothing creates something. But in a way, isn't it normal to start with the Ba'ami and to go to the Sikhrit and then to, and then to maybe... Isn't that normal? Because we start in this world. It could I be. I understand. If you're born in a... It could be normal place, and it could not be normal. Depends on your perspective. I know. But it's like if you're born... It, it, unless you're born in a, in a... You're very fortunate to be born in a place where people... Because I think that there's also... There's also a way to rationalize the Eloki in a way. And, and, and it turns into the moment you rationalize the elokit, it's not elokit. Exactly, exactly. Elokit cannot. The same way the animal is instinct, elokit is the exact opposite. It's exactly spiritual. There's nothing. It's it's instinct spiritual. Not instinct is the wrong word, but it's totally spiritual in every way. Okay, so I, I'm looking at. at I, okay. So I'm looking at the real world, okay? If yeah. you're born, let's say, in a religious family, or you're born in a completely secular family, okay? Some people are born in a religious family. Some people are born in a completely secular family. It's not your choice. It's the way it is, right? Right. If you're born in a completely secular family, the only, your raw materials of understanding, the only thing you have are things that emanate from this world, okay? You're not exposed to any concept of it. You're not exposed to any concept of of of, of It's not it's not there. You have to you have to get there eventually, right? Right. You're gonna, like go around in circles, and at some point you're going to sense that ah, I can't fully understand everything, what's going on, and, and maybe then you can start to have that relationship. But on the other hand, if you're born in a religious family, and I, I mean, I guess I guess you guys can can speak to that more more than me because I, I didn't grow up in a, in a religious family, but. So you're, you're exposed at least to the concepts of the Elohim, right? Like it's, it's around you. It's the, the, the reality of faith is around you. There's, there's, there's more of a chance that you can develop an Elohim 
uh, perspective in that environment, right? But it could also be in that environment, maybe you're also dealing with rationalizations, and maybe maybe it's maybe you're not exposed to the truth of the heat spirit. You understand what I'm saying? So that, that's why the sikhlit, the nefesh is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful because it can go either way. It can be justified towards the animal or it can be justified towards the divine. But it really can go either way. So either the animal can use it to justify its purpose and its means and its instinct and justify why that tub of ice cream is really right for you right now and it doesn't really matter how many calories it is or the opposite, that it has so many calories, don't touch it. That's right. Or, or the Nefesh can start, like you said, can start explaining God, but again, it's not Nefesh It's not godly. It's just Nefesh So it's still from the this world. It's still from the Mamata Lamaila perspective. It's still from the this world perspective. The well, Lamaila Lamata. part in this world. No, no. Even if you're born in a religious context. At some point, you have to. Even if you're born in a religious context, at some point, you have to figure it out for yourself. Exactly. But you don't have to necessarily start in this world. Ah, that, that, that's what I'm interested in. You don't have to necessarily. So the Lamaila Lamata perspective is where you say, okay, the same way I don't question why I have to eat or sleep, I don't question there's God. I'm not even getting into the topic. There are some people who study Torah and do mitzvot and they never bother getting into the idea of if there's a God in the world. I'm not even getting there. This is Hashem. Hashem told me to do this. Happy birthday, done. I don't really care about anything. I don't want to know about anything. I don't want to experience anything. Just, just let me do the Torah. Let me do the mitzvot. Let me study Torah and, and, and stop with all the shenanigans. There are people who are like that. Yes. So that you say, you, you call that starting from, from Lima? No, it's, it's, yes, because the okay. same way, right? If you're starting from Lamata, you, are you questioning? Please tell me, how many hours did you sleep last night? Me? Yeah. I slept like seven, not great hours. Seven, seven hours. <laughs> Explain to me. I want to understand the deep significance. My daughter, like, I want to understand the deep significance of your sleep. Why did you have to sleep? What a waste of time. You imagine what you could produce in those seven hours. Yeah, I'm a, time is money. I agree, I time agree. is money, I right? <laughs> I wish I could only so, sleep four hours a night. So but the same so way, no one, no one who slept seven hours, who thinks time is money, is ever saying, oh my gosh, I just wasted seven hours of money. No one ever says that. So these people... Well, maybe, maybe that's because they rationalize and they say, I'm going to have so much, a much more productive... This no. of hours no. but, that's, but that's an instinctive rationalization because the point is they would be, be much more productive if they didn't sleep at all. We just know you have to okay. sleep. You'd be more know. productive at that moment, but then maybe you'd be not productive for two days. Maybe, yeah, maybe not. Maybe, who knows? Who but, knows? but who knows? The, so so the same way the Lamai Lamata people, they, they start off, Hashem exists. Don't start trying to rationalize it. Don't start trying to give me all of your thesis and dissertations about why or there, is or there isn't a God. And there are people like that. By the way, if you meet someone like that, don't talk about God. I mean, what you do with that kind of person is you, you, you um, revel in their existence, in their presence, because that's an amazing experience to be in. Majority of us don't have that. But the few people who are like that, it's an amazing. They have a, a true faith that's innate. It's that, hard that, for me to understand that. 
because you're an intellectual. I and you, you, first of all, you have two things. Naturally, you're an intellectual, and you spent your entire life building up I your nefesh hasichlit. I see that person as being lazy. I see that person as being not really... They're well, I think that you're lazy you're for spending seven hours sleeping last night. You're probably right. I wish I could only sleep four hours. <laughs> you see? And I wish that I could be like that person who doesn't have to question God. Yeah, it would be a lot easier in a way. But I feel <laughs> like there's something like disingenuous about that. I feel like there's, they're not really engaged. They're not... This so is, maybe it's because they're so in tune that it just, yeah, they don't have to, maybe. like, if they're not, they don't have the struggle. Like, it's so clear to them. Right. It's not like they're not taking, it's not that taking it for granted. It's that... They see it as so true and so so, clear. so clearly correct that everything yeah. else just like fades away. Yeah, and it's amazing. not just like they're just doing it out of routine and without actually right. thinking. Right, because there is that, that reality right. too, right? right? But that person who just sees it as perfectly clear and they're in tune with it and it just makes perfect sense to them, that I would be in awe of. That I would be like, wow. You know? Because to me, it's, it's not that. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot harder. If you find one of these people and you interview them, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And you learn about their lives, you learn about who they are, it's fascinating. I'm not talking about somebody, there are some people who are, who are naively like that. I'm talking about someone who's really like that. There are amazing people. There are, there are people who, who have prayer and words of God on their, on their lips the entire day. But is that something you think you're born with? Or is that something that you can foster? This is what I think. I think that you're definitely born with it, but the same way you have fostered your rational drive your entire life, these people foster that mailalamata perspective, that above to below perspective. They, they, they foster it, right? They foster it through prayer. They foster it through faith. They foster it through reinforcing this their constant life, their, their entire life. You had a, were naturally intellectual as you, you were raised in an environment that was somewhat, or you put yourself in an environment that was intellectual, and you have spent years and years and years fostering your rational drive. So that's the most time that you've given. You probably have given your rational drive more time than you've given your animal, to a certain extent. So, the, and, and that's, def, by definition, the, the definition of an intellectual. There are some people who are animals, and they spend their entire life fostering their animal instincts. And they're maybe no better than an animal <laughs> by choice. And it could be that they're natural, very, they're naturally gluttons and they're naturally people who like to enjoy food and enjoy physical experiences. But there's, there's an element of it that's natural and there's, an ele- of, there's nature and nurture. There's an element of it that is nurtured into and that is spent nurtured over the course of someone's life. Now, so this is the idea of lamata lamaila and lamata lamaila lamata. From the, the, whichever perspective, you can have an above to below perspective or a below to above perspe- perspective. We understand this? Okay. Now, the person, this person, we're still talking about the person who is the nefesh alukit, who is the, the godly soul, the, 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 that godly person. They call something because... From their perspective, it's a something. They start off from the perspective of nothing, which is the potential for everything. And they call it the something because that's the first time something exists. In their world, by nature, there's nothing. So they're able to discern between the nothing 
and the something, the way that Hashem was able to create the world, yesh ma'ayin. The fact that it's here and functions as an, as an entity having very little significance and importance in the higher and bigger picture. It's something. It's something. It has now been defined. This is a cup. This cup holds liquids or fluids. The point of it is to use to be able to drink. It's a something. Is it an, is it an anything? I mean, it can have dual or many, many purposes to what you're going to put into it. But at the end of the day, it's a cup. It's limited, whatever it is. It's eight ounces or whatever it is. And, and that's it's a something. The Nefesh Elokit begins its relationship with matter and form by first and foremost finding out how the matter and form were created. Who made it? That's the first question. The first question of a Nefesh Elokit is who made you? How were you created? The Nefesh Bahamut wants to eat it. The Nefesh wants to see how many calories it has. And the Nefesh Elokit wants to know how it got here. The Nefesh of a kid wants to say, oh, wow, look at this. Apple, 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 apple. Apple came from seed. Seed was planted. Planted tree. Tree then was able to form. Oh, apple, I took the apple. That's from God. Thank you, God, for creating the seed and the tree and the fruit of the tree. I will now eat this from your kindness. That's a bracha. That's what a blessing is. The blessing is a recognition. It's a recognition. Of it's a recognition of the of the godly soul recognizing the source. The glutton just grabs it and eats it. The the the, the scientist wants to understand the makeup, the the, the 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 how it works, if it metabolizes what you eat with what, how to eat it, when to eat it, where to eat it. But the godly soul wants to know where is it from? Who made it? That is Nomaila Lamata, from above to below. So let's just recap this. There's two opposite approaches that are used by the rational drive. One, the rational response is primarily interested in the effect of its ancillary interests, where it came from. And second, the godly response is primarily interested in the cause of how it got here. The fact that it's here is a product and result. Now that we understand this idea of lamala, lamata, lamata, lamaila, we're going to understand the next concept. The next concept are also synonyms. They're called isarusa de la which means an arousal from above, from God, and Isarusa Dilisata, an arousal that's generated from us. So now let's so now let's understand this, how this works. If somebody that let's say becomes religious. Let's say they, they, they spend their whole life a certain way and one day, I'm sure you'll, you know people like this, one day they wake up and they're like, this, this world is crazy, I have to change my life and there's a huge 180 turn. Now, where does that come from? 
How does that happen? All of a sudden, your, your whole life, you know, these guys, I know this guy, he was one of the biggest club promoters in, in Montreal. Literally, like, this guy was St. Lawrence Street, doing whatever he was doing and getting all his friends to do whatever they were doing. He was making a ton of money in a club promoter. One day, walks into a synagogue, has, you know, his whole life changes. It's like an overnight. He's Moroccan. Yeah, of you, course. That's, that's a, it's a, it's a cliche. Like I know. <laughs> I know at least... 30 people like that. <laughs> the biggest club guy, the biggest guy who became religious overnight. I know and then, 30 of them. And then after a few years, they said, no, I had enough. I don't like this life. I'm going to go no, back to they, my they No, then yeah. Okay, but, but, but what is it? But, but what, what is that? What, what is, that's, that's an insane thing. Your life was amazing. Everything was great. It was wonderful. Seemingly what, amazing. Seemingly amazing. So, we believe this is what's called an Isra del Eila. It comes from God. It's not our doing. God intervenes in a person's life and provides them an awakening, an arousal. It's called teshuva, return, which means like this. We have within us a body and a soul. The soul is our animating force. We spend our entire life being very physical and very crass and, and being the club promoter, so to speak. Eventually, the soul is starving. It's so starving that it's like, help me, help me, help me. I'm dying in here because this person is so connected to the physical world. I need something to the point where it basically dies. At that point, I'm saying in this particular person's situation, there's many, many manifestations of how this works. I mean, in the club promoters... In, the, in, the, in, the, in, in that manifestation, but there's many manifestations of this. In this example, the, 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 the soul is basically dead. And then comes an arousal from above that says, wake up. Did, did the person do anything? No. The soul is starving. This imparts the ability for the person to make a complete change in lifestyle, regardless of the fact that the mental, that the emotional and the spiritual states are not even in the, remotely in the state of returning to God. They are so far from that. It's kind of like the Exodus. Huh? It's kind of like when God took us out of Egypt. Exactly. I, when I was a yeshiva student, I used to, uh, for a year, I used to spend almost every single Shabbat at the Ohel in Queens. <laughs> at the, the, it was shortly after the Rebbe passed away. And so many yeshiva students, we, used to, we wanted to be closer to the Rebbe, and we used to go to the grave for the Shabbat. Today it's become a whole big place over there. At that time it was very small. We used to, there was a basement there in the, in the building. If you've ever been there, there's like a main building. There was a basement there. They used to have like bunk beds down there. We used to stay there for Shabbat. I used to go there almost every week. One Friday afternoon, I was uh, standing in front of that building, and I see this guy pacing. He's pacing back and forth and back and forth. And he's standing next to a very, very nice sports car. I, I don't know his cars, but it was you know, a nice looking sports car. And I hear him screaming on the phone. Okay, I didn't bother him at first, but I came back like 10 minutes later and he's still screaming on the phone over there. So I walked over to him and I said, excuse me, can I do something? Can I help you? He's like, looks up on the phone. He's like, what is this? So I said, this is the grave of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. What? Was he a Jewish at first? I don't even know who this guy is. Okay. 
I said it's. I said it's. He's a great rabbi. He. It's a great. It's a. It's a. It's, it's, I said, look, it's a cemetery. I know it's a cemetery, but but I said there's a great rabbi who's buried here. He's like looking like dumbfounded at me. Like, what the heck? What are you, what are you talking about? He says, just leave me alone. Okay. He's, he's screaming, I guess, at the insurance company. I don't know what he's saying. I'm standing over there. I'm talking to somebody. He comes over to me and says, what is this place again? I said, it's, it's the grave of a great rabbi. Really? It's a, it's a, a great rabbi's grave. Says, says, says the person on the phone, I got to go. Hangs up the phone. And he says to me, you see this? This car, I just bought this car. I'm on the way back from the dealership. I'm on my way home. The dealership was here in Queens, and I live in Manhattan. I just bought this very expensive car, and it broke down. You can imagine, I'm really, really upset. This is what he says. He said, yeah, but it broke down in front of a great rabbi's grave. You need to come. He said, you're Jewish. Of course. He said, you should have to come and do a prayer. Come and do a prayer in the grave. So, yeah? He comes in. And I showed him how to do the prayer, and I took him down into the, into the, into the OL. The guy is sobbing tears. Mm-hmm. Sobbing tears. I invited him to have dinner with us. He sat down, had dinner with us. He had nowhere to go anyway. He was waiting for them to come pick up the car. <laughs> the car was broken. And he said to me that whenever they come pick up the car, I'm going to go. So he's eating dinner with us, and he said, you won't believe this. It's just, this whole day is, is a mess. He said, I'm Jewish. I wasn't raised with very much Judaism. I don't, I, my parents didn't really do it. I know my grandparents, survivors. I'm engaged to a non-Jewish girl. I live in New York. I'm engaged to a non-Jewish girl. And I kind of been going back and forth in my head of like, if it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, if I, uh, my grandparents aren't happy about it, survivors, my parents don't really care very much, you know, what I do. And I kind of, I didn't say it openly, but I basically said to God, if there's like, I don't know, give me a sign. I, he says, like, I didn't really say it, say it, but I kind of said it. And here I am at some rabbi's grave, and I just had this crazy spiritual experience, and my car is, that I bought today is broken. And I don't even know what the heck is going on. And I'm with some chassidim. This is crazy. I was in New York a few months ago. This is 15 years ago. I mean, this is more. This is how long? 1999. Almost 20 years ago, this story. I was in New York a few months ago for the convention of rabbis. And And this guy... I see, I, 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 this guy, um, I, this rabbi is talking to me that I know from Manhattan about this guy who had, you know, who's, uh, oh, he was, he was telling, he wasn't telling me the story. He was telling somebody the story in front of me. I happened to be overhearing the story about this guy who's very involved in his community, who had his first experience is that his car broke down in front of the Ohel. 
and that he became Shomer Shabbos and he became kosher and he's like very big, very, this beautiful story he was telling about, you know, as a, like a Rebbe story. And I, so I turned to him and I said, I was there. I was, I, you know, I, was, I remember that, that day. I, I can't believe it. Like, this is the guy. And he starts telling me about the guy, like what happened to him and how he had this whole experience and this whole change. And, 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 I, and I was thinking exactly this, that, you know, what, what, what happened that day with that guy? Like, where did that come from? He had a brand new car. His brand new cars don't break down. So, so what was the, 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 the process, the process that allowed for this wow. guy... The return. The return. The Chinese are back. <laughs> Did they, were, there, were there any tariffs on you coming in? Were there any <laughs> <laughs> Tariffs on you coming back in? <laughs> I didn't go through the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> So that is Isarusa de Leila. There's no other way to explain it. There's no, the guy wasn't looking for it. The guy wasn't trying to find any, any deep significant thing in his life. He, by all practical means and purposes, this man had an arousal from above. And this is why this idea of Arusa de Leila, an arousal that feels to make someone move is generated by God. The de'ela from God, which is above. This is the meaning of from above to below. That there's an idea. If you want to know truly what is above to below, Fred was having a difficulty with this. This is exactly what it is. There's some times where you can be the club promoter and all of a sudden, boom, you have one moment of experience and you can't explain it. It could be anything. It could be anything that happens, or I'm just using that example, but it could be, yeah, I've heard people having dreams, I've heard people having different things and experiences in their life, and just something happens, and boom, they just decide, this is it. I, I have to make a change in my life. Now, there's another, there's another set of terms. Is this idea of Isarusa Dilatata, which is the Lamata Lamaila experience. So every year, Coming up soon, we have the month of Elul, which is going to be in five weeks. We're going to start the month of Elul, exactly five weeks from today. During that month, Jews prepare themselves by taking stock of what transpired in their lives throughout the previous year. Just as every business person knows the importance of taking inventory at least once a year, one of the things we do, we don't just walk into Rosh Hashanah, hey, God. What's up? Haven't seen you in a while. We actually go through a process, a beautiful process. And for those of you who follow my classes over the course of the years, I always uh, have special classes that I do during the month of Elul to be able to, to prepare us. And to, I did one last year on forgiveness, if you remember. And, and this year I have some other classes that are planned. And, and uh, there's even uh, in, 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 our, in our Saturday uh, Classes. We were doing a whole process, the whole entire process. We were going step by step through the whole process of, of, of refining and repairing and changing. Is it, is it true the rabbi says, like, every Elo should check our mezuzahs? Yes. Yeah. Do, do you do yeah. that? Yeah, we check our mezuzahs. We, we do a whole do you, process. Do you, do you do yeah. Some people. We're supposed to do it minimal twice in seven years, but some people have a tradition of just doing a whole cleansing, a spiritual cleansing before Rosh Hashanah. But that's every other year. No, we do, the rabbi said to do it every year. And the holy days are a time of judgment. They're a serious and awesome time. 
they, they require reflection, taking inventory of what actions from the past year need improvement and how to implement an organized plan to avoid going through the same difficulties. There's an entire process. This approach of self-reflection and meditation is known as teshuva. It's not first, and we're going to talk about this idea of abstaining and then transforming. However, it's completely different than the opposite from tshuva, which is the tshuva approach is generated from within. It's not all of a sudden you have this moment where your car breaks down in front of the OL. It's where it comes from you. You go through an actual refinement process where you, you spend time and say, I am going to make a change. I'm going to spend the next, right now we have 70 days. I'm going to spend the next 70 days before Rosh Hashanah and I am going to make a change. This is initiated from within. It's not inspired by other people. It's not inspired by a holy environment. It's not inspired by a moment of, 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 of inspiration. It's just something that's a slow process between now and Rosh Hashanah, for example. But that's still Hashem. It's, it's, it's Hashem gives us the power, but the power comes from within. It's, it's really a divatata. It's from below. It, each person who is below, meaning here on earth, is, takes the time to go through that process. And through that, when we give a finger, Hashem gives a hand, and Hashem does inspire us, but it starts off from us. The inspiration starts from me deciding today that I'm going to make that change. In other words, the Isarusa approach is coming from within. It's very calculated, it's thought out, and the Isarusa approach is coming from God. Since God is infinite, its effect cannot be foreseen or estimated before it happens. That's why it doesn't have to take time to adjust and prepare to, to go. It doesn't, have to ta- it doesn't have to go from the wilderness of, of, of empty Jewish knowledge to all of a sudden having to be engulfed in the Jewish knowledge. It's a slow process. It's not the, the, the person whose car breaks down in front of the OL, the only way is to have this boom experience. They have to have this incredible moment of life-changing experience. But for the other person, since it comes from within, it's a slow, gradual process. Nothing earth-shattering, no miracles happening, no strange coincidences happening. It's a slow, gradual process. Are most Baal Tshuvas like from Isra Delilah? Um, there's two types. I've seen them both. I've seen two, two completely different types of Baal Tshuva. Since it's not internally generated, you simply allow yourself to be swept away with the current landing wherever God wants in order to get life's back on track. So just to summarize before we go on to Talmud, that there, there's two different ways of the nefesh hasichlit approaching this world. One is from above to below, and the other one is from below to above. The above to below usually happens as this boom inspiration that comes from God, and the below to above is a gradual process that happens through someone's self-refinement. The nefesh, the, the, the rational drive can be used as a mechanism for the animal, or it can be used as a mechanism for the godly. And what Kabbalah is most interested in is teaching us how to use it as a mechanism for the godly. Because naturally, we know how to use it as a mechanism for the animal. We're very good at that. 
we can talk about that for a long time. That's, uh, that's the idea for today. It's much more solid. solid. The ones that come from Mr. Sudeleva have to be very careful. Right. Easy come, easy go. Easy come, easy go. Well, no, they're, 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 because they're usually they're, usually they have a certain addict personality, they have a certain, there's a reason why these things happen to them, right? I mean, it's not just, uh, you know, and it's, it's great, it's wonderful, and I'm happy that they're putting their lives, but you have to be very, very careful. They're, they're usually attracted to certain, to certain ways of, of, uh, Jew, of within the Jewish world. There, there's certain, I'm not going to go into the details of that. Just like you get into that life because you have um, a lot of fantasies and because you're very... There's something missing in your life. There's something missing maybe and and so, but they're very, use the word naive, but they're very, they're almost like... um, like children watching like, uh, like, 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 like a television show. Like, like wow, that, that, that wow factor for them is very, very strong. That's how you end up in that, in that hardcore club life thinking it's gonna make you happy because it's the wow factor. And then at some point they get the wow factor for religion. And so, okay, that's good. They, they, could, they could restructure their lives and so forth. But the thing is, just like they go like an addict from wow to wow, the wow factor is still, they're still uh, fragile at that level. Absolutely. Still be subject to another wow factor coming later that's going to sway them in another direction. And that's when they can get into serious, serious issues. Because, you know, usually when they dive into religion, it's a very deep thing for them. But then when they, when they get wowed out of it, that, that, that's when it gets really complicated for them. And usually more complicated for them to sort of deal with or integrate, you know? Exactly. And that's when they get a little bit lost. And then I think yeah. that... It, I think that for them, it's very, very important for them to learn how to experience Judaism through the Nefesh HaSichlit, through the rational drive. Rabbi, I have a question. I came in again. I yeah. don't know what the question is. But you were talking about um, um, ejaculation for sleep and erections and whatnot. Um, there is... Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, where was I? I was listening this whole time. There's a lot that happened when you were so I want to, okay. so if you want to address that from the Kabbalah, um, that's a natural physiological response. You get every 45 to 90 minutes uh, to miss and penile response, the autonomic nervous system, it's, it's hooked up that way. And when it coordinates with, with your REM pattern, you have to un- understand it, and that's the Freudian interpretation. What about females in the Kabbalah? It's very interesting. The, the, the Talmud says that one of the miracles of the the, the, the high priest on Yom Kippur is that he didn't have any of that. It was, one of, it was, a, it was considered a miracle on Yom Kippur because the high priest had to stay pure the entire time. Um, when you fast, your TPPs are I'm glad. You see, you see there's a difference between looking at it as a miracle or being a doctor and deciding that your TTPs are lower and uh, all these things and using the <laughs> rational drive. Case in point. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Talmud. So are we going to take...
Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode. 